Good morning to you all. It's great to see so many people here and thank you to Ben and other colleagues at Compass for inviting me to come along. Um, as Ben said, I'm a researcher at the ESRC-funded Centre for Population Change at the University of Southampton, um, where we examine the drivers and the implications of population change in the UK, one aspect of which um, is migration. My area of expertise is actually the internal migration of graduates, so that refers to the movement within UK borders and usually refers to UK domicile graduates, so that's graduates who are originally from the UK. So that will be the main focus of my paper. It's also the main focus of the briefing paper that's just at the front as you walked in. However, as you may be able to guess from my atmospheric, blurry image of an airport scene and my front cover, um, I will spend a little bit of time talking about the onward migration of international students um, after they graduate, since I understand this has been a topic of interest um, in previous breakfast briefing discussions, and thanks to Ben for his steer on that. So the findings I'll be presenting then come from a survey of graduates from the University of Southampton, which we're now hoping will become a pilot for a larger study of graduates from universities across the UK. And we're working on funding, um, finding funding to, to do this part of the project next. So this opportunity actually to, um, to learn from you about the types of information on graduates that you're really interested in um, is very helpful and it's come at a very timely part um, of this kind of broader project for us. I look forward to hearing about that um, in the discussion afterwards. So what's original about this survey then, um, compared to other graduate surveys, um, is that we've collected data that can be used to analyse the pathways of graduates um, across the five-year period after they've left university, which is quite different to other um, cross-sectional graduate surveys that don't enable that type of pathways analysis, which I hope will become clear as I move through the presentation. So I wanted to start then just with um, a little bit of background on what we already know about UK graduate migration um, before turning to how our study furthers that knowledge. So we know that students and graduates are very highly mobile groups. <coughs> 16 to 24 year olds are the most mobile age group and those who participate in higher education um, are more mobile than those who don't. So we really are looking at the most mobile of the most mobile here. Um, this is associated with the strong tradition or culture in the UK of moving away from home to attend university in a different city. Although whether we begin to see this changing with the new fee regime with perhaps more students choosing to live at home while they study remains to be seen. So because of this heightened mobility, students and graduates are key drivers of both internal and international migration flows to and from the UK, um, which you can see quite clearly from this graph, which shows um, estimates of long-term migration to the UK. So long-term migrations um, defined as people who stay for one or more years. Um, and this graph shows long-term migration by the main reason for migrating. And you can quite clearly see um, towards the end of, of 2009 that study, the blue line, um, overtook work as the most common reason for, um, for migration into the UK. <clears throat> you can also see, actually, um, in the year ending June 2012, that there was quite a significant decrease in the, in the levels of um, study-related immigration. Most of this decrease actually occurred in further education and language study students as opposed to higher education students, and it was to do with new, more stringent measures um, to reduce um, the abuse of the student visa system, I think. 
So, as I mentioned, students and graduates are also key drivers of internal migration within the UK, um, and they drive both long-distance migration from one region of the UK to another, um, and short-distance movement within regions and local authorities, um, which is often referred to as either residential mobility or population churn. And in fact, this churn can cause tensions in university towns, um, in residential communities, um, where the movement in and out of large numbers of students can cause overcrowding and quite tense social relations with established residents um, during term time and then a kind of ghost town effect um, during vacations. Okay, so this graph illustrates just how fundamental students and graduates are in driving internal migration. It shows the internal migration rate per 1,000 age-standardised population in England and Wales by age group from 2002 to 2008. And you can see that young adults aged 16 to 24, that's the black, the, the longest dark grey bar there, um, have around twice the internal migration rate of the next most mobile group, which is those aged 25 to 44, and almost three times the all-age internal migration um, rate. And much of this movement in the 16 to 24-year-old year age group is associated with the entry and exit from, from higher education. So what more do we know about graduate migration? We know that graduates tend to move from peripheral university towns um, to London and the southeastern area, often referred to as the escalator region. Um, and this movement of young educated people from the peripheries to the southeast um, results in an uneven distribution of human capital around the UK, um, which of course impacts on um, uh, local and regional economies. And this is evidenced by a raft of um, regional and local graduate retention programmes which are designed to encourage graduates to stay in their, in their place of study. And in terms of graduates themselves, um, research tends to associate their migration with their upward social mobility. And this is what the term escalator region refers to. It describes the upward social mobility of graduates which is afforded by employment opportunities and career progression that's available in London and South East. And it's these large <coughs> few points here um, that the findings of our research in Southampton begin to challenge, which I hope will become clear um, through the rest of the presentation. So moving on then to what we don't know really about graduate migration. Most academic research draws upon the destinations of leavers of higher education survey, or the DELI as it's often referred to, collected by the Higher Education Statistics Agency. This is a very valuable resource, um, however, as with most surveys, um, the methodology limits what's achievable with that data. And the most um, significant issues are as follows. The DELI is a census of all EU domiciled graduates from UK universities carried out six months after graduation. And this is really very soon for examining the destinations of graduates and certainly tells us very little about their long-term destinations. There is a follow-up survey, which is called the Longitudinal Delhi, and that happens three and a half years um, later. But this only captures 12% of the original sample. And also there's no data about what happens to those graduates in between the six months and the three and a half year point, which is what we need to, um, to examine the pathways of graduates over that period. Um, there was some attempt to collect this using what, what was called an activity grid, but that part of the, um, the Delhi survey was very poorly um, filled out, so actually that data isn't really usable. 
The Delhi is actually a survey of employment destinations rather than migration destinations. Um, so the address data that's captured at six months and three and a half years is actually for the graduate's employer, not their home address. So we have to use their employer's postcode as a proxy for residential location, which is obviously not ideal. This is also very problematic um, because it means um, any study of the migration of graduates using this data set um, will marginalise those who aren't in employment at six months. And we know um, from Cor and Corver's work, um, they worked with the Delhi, that around half of graduates aren't actually in employment um, at six months after they've left university. So this does really restrict and skew the sample that we can work with. It also means that we don't know about migration that's tied to factors other than employment, like partnership, childbearing, financial hardship and debt, which could be particularly important at the moment, um, social networks, location and cultural preferences. And finally, data is collected, um, data is not collected, sorry, from international graduates from outside of the EU. Um, although this is set to change, I think, with the data that was collected last year in the Delhi, that hasn't yet been released. So how does our CPC study um, hope to address these gaps? We've collected month-by-month -month data on the pathways of graduates across the five-year period after they leave university. It wouldn't be possible to collect this type of complex information using standard survey instruments for collecting data across time, like the activity grid that, that, was, um, that was used in the Delhi and was very poorly um, filled out. This is particularly an issue for, for a survey of graduates because they can have very complex pathways as they effectively try and find their feet after leaving university, um, which can include multiple moves, partnerships and jobs over quite a short period of time. So it really is a challenge to capture that complexity um, in a survey. So we've designed um, an innovative survey tool. It's an online survey, so we sent this out via email. Um, the tool is called an event history calendar, I'll show it to you in just a moment, uh, and we used it to collect robust five-year histories month by month. We sent the survey out in spring 2012 um, to alumni who graduated from the University of Southampton between 2001 and 2007, so all of the respondents were between five and 11 years post-graduation. This yielded a sample of 963 respondents, which included um, UK, EU and non-EU domiciled graduates. So this is what um, the calendar looks like. So the darker grey rows at the top, um, running horizontally, um, we have at the very top the year, then the month, and then the respondent's age, which was populated when they put their date of birth in, um, at a previous stage in, in the survey, I should um, explain that this calendar was embedded within a broader survey that also asked questions about um, the graduates' current um, employment, location, etc. So we also have their employment destinations between five and 11 years after they've graduated. Um, the calendar starts in the January of the year the respondent graduated and it stretches horizontally for five years to the January five years later. Um, these the scroll bars at the top and bottom allow the graduate to move through um, that period of time. You can only see three years here of that period. So there are four blocks where respondents input information um, about their pathways during this time. The first block at the top um, is for changes in address, the second employment, the third partnership and, and the very bottom block for childbearing. So where the, yellows, where the cells are yellow, that's where data's been, been input. So when um, a respondent clicks on a cell to, in the top block um, to indicate that they changed address in that month, 
a series of additional windows pop up to, to capture extra information about that move. Um, so including the reasons for moving, their living arrangements, housing type, tenure, satisfaction. And the benefits of using this type of calendar is that it will capture complex sequences of, of, event, of events in graduates' lives and it allows them to align changes in different parts of their lives, so partnership, employment, etc., which, um, which we hope improves the quality of the data that they're giving us. So moving on then to some findings, um, and I'm going to start with the internal migration of graduates. This is a visual representation of one graduate migrant's pathway, which is based on the data that they input to the calendar. The small squares running horizontally um, across the middle um, are the years from January 2007 to 2012. Above this, the round-cornered boxes are the graduates' changes of address over this period. So there are eight changes of address in total. So this is an example of a very highly mobile graduate. The lines at the bottom underneath show how the respondents' changing employment, partnership, housing and living arrangements um, are synchronous with their, um, with their migration pathway. So really the main message from this slide is that we really did capture some very complex pathways from, from these graduate respondents. The highly mobile group, which the respondent from that pathway diagram belongs to, accounts for 25% of our total sample. So these respondents moved between five and eight times during the five-year period after they left university, so on average at least once per year. And just to put that into context, um, in another study we're currently working on at the CPC, we're looking at the lifetime migration histories of people aged between 50 and 80, and the average number of moves um, for a, across a man's lifetime from this group is six. So considering we've got sort of between five and eight moves here, it just kind of, um, I hope, gives some idea of just how complex these um, five-year migration histories are. Juxtaposed to that highly mobile group, um, we also have more stable trajectories, which are characterised by non-migration um, by some graduates by choice. Often this is mature students um, who were more rooted in their place of study or by constrained movement associated with a lack of opportunities um, in the labour market and housing market constraints as well. These more stable pathways also include graduates um, who stayed in the parental home throughout their studies and across the post-student period, which is around, um, around 4% of our total sample. So I've chosen to describe these two pathways in a bit more detail because I think they really reveal how heterogeneous this group is. And commonly studies of, um, certainly of young adult housing pathways, have tended to identify one standard student pathway through the housing system and beyond after graduation. And I think what our data is showing is that actually graduate pathways aren't reducible um, to one standard type in this way. Okay, so moving on now to um, the destinations of graduate migrants at the first, second and third move after leaving university uh, with the reasons for moving in tables underneath the maps. This data is mapped by postcode area with the darker blues indicating that a higher number of respondents moved to that area. This is the Southampton postcode here just above the Isle of Wight. Um, and you'll see this remains dark blue at every move, and this is the case for every move from one to eight. Eight was the maximum number of moves that could be input on the calendar, um, showing that it retains a significant proportion of its graduates, but also that graduates return to the city after they've moved out to live elsewhere for a period of time, which indicates that students do actually form a, a lasting attachment to their place of study. In fact, by five to, five to 11 years after graduation, 30% of our respondents were located back in Southampton.
It's also, I think, important to, to note that there are um, a range of reasons in these tables underneath the maps for, that graduates gave for, for moving. So employment is important, uh, accounting for around 25 to 30% of moves, but it's not the only reason um, why graduates move, and this has been an assumption in much of the pre-existing research in this area. So the first move then shows the broadest geographical distribution across the UK and the migration destinations here were strongly associated with where the graduates were um, located before they went to university, so they're often their parents' address, which is um, reflected in the table underneath. You can see returning to live with parents was the most common um, reason for the first move. These reasons are in rank order, by the way. At the second move, we see less geographic dispersal, indicating that graduates are moving back to Southampton, the surrounding areas and the southeast, with a greater proportion of respondents moving to London postcodes. And this is the case for every consecutive move from move two onwards. So a greater proportion of graduates moving to either um, an inner or a greater London postcode, suggesting that that kind of conventional pathway to London um, isn't immediate, rather it's, it's more elongated. Moving out of the parental home for own space and independence becomes more important at move two, and returning to the parental home slips down from rank order first to rank order 14th, most common reason. At the third move, we see a broader pattern of dispersal again, and this is to some degree associated with, um, with returning to the parental home again. So this has now moved back up to rank order sixth after a dip in importance at move two. And this illustrates a kind of emerging evidence of a double boomerang effect. This is what we've called it. So boom, the, the, uh, the phrase boomerang generation is sometimes used to describe young adults who return to the parental home. Um, so what we're seeing here is that some have moved back to the parental home, moved out again to attempt to pursue independent living, and then they've had to move back for a second time. Reasons like cost, unemployment and cheaper rent emerge at move three, suggesting that some respondents are struggling to make that transition from, um, from student to financial and residential independence. Okay. So here are just three of the reasons um, that our double boomerang um, respondents gave for returning home for the second time, um, including I moved out too soon and I overstretched myself financially so I had to move back home. I had to move back home because I couldn't afford the place I moved out to, bills, council tax, etc. were too high. And the third one, my wife became pregnant, I had to move back in with my parents as we didn't have enough money or space. So we can see from that emerging evidence of a double boomerang effect that returning to the parental home isn't only associated with the initial move after graduation, but to multiple periods of uncertainty during quite a prolonged transition to independence. Um, and this is reflected in the range of reasons given here in this table for returning to the parental home, including unemployment and job seeking, unstable employment and paying off debts. Encouragingly, though, the right-hand side of this slide um, shows that around three quarters of those who did return home were either satisfied or very satisfied when they were living with their parents. And the next slide, I think, provides some insight into why this was the case, uh, since 99% of those who returned home received some kind of support from their parents while they, um, while they were living there. So 56% lived rent-free, 55% did not contribute to household bills, 56% were provided with meals at no cost. Emotional support was also important, um, as was the provision of a vehicle or money for transport. Um, so I think the main message here really is that graduates returning to the parental home had some kind of tangible 
impact on the time, financial and emotional resources of their parents. Parking that for the time being and just moving on now briefly to look at the <laughs> onward migration of international students. And I've taken the HESA definition here of an international student, which actually includes EU nationals as well as non-EU nationals, largely just because the sample size was so small. So please do bear in mind that this is a small sample. We're talking here about 216 graduates, which was around 22% of our total sample. Um, the majority of these, 64%, uh, actually remained in the UK for the five-year period after they graduated. Um, this differs quite markedly from other studies. For example, the OECD um, publishes figures which suggest that around 25% of international students stay in the UK. A recent um, Department of Business, Innovation and Skills survey um, found that around 20% of international graduates were still in the UK two and a half years after graduating. Um, those, those studies um, didn't capture EU students, that's one difference. They were just looking at non-EU, uh, but also I think our, our small sample size is probably contributing to that disparity. The remaining 36% did migrate internationally after graduating, and around um, half of those stated their main reason was to return home to their home country to live with their parents. Um, a further 36% moved for employment, so not necessarily back to their home country. Interestingly, around 36% of those who migrated um, internationally then returned to the UK at some point over the following five-year period, um, most of whom returned for employment or for higher education, suggesting that the UK labour force and higher education system does remain attractive to, to these skilled adult, young adults even after they've left the UK. Turning back now to international graduates who, who stayed in the UK, so that's 64% of, of that sample, when we look at their internal migration behaviour over the five-year period after they graduated, we can see that they were actually relatively rooted compared to UK domiciled um, graduates. Half didn't move at all, they were non-migrants, and that compares to only 19% of the total sample. Um, the remaining half moved to one or more new addresses in Southampton, um, sorry, in the UK. The vast majority of these were actually still in Southampton. And you can see from this map here that the most common destinations were Southampton, Portsmouth, Bournemouth and, and the Isle of Wight. And a small cluster in Aberdeen, which I can't really explain. <laughs> um, but these moves were predominantly associated with employment. Okay, so to finish then, um, I just wanted to outline some of the implications of our findings for four broad policy areas, although I'm not a policy expert and I'm sure the audience probably has better and and um, fuller ideas on, on perhaps what the implications are for policy, but hopefully this might um, kick off some of the discussions afterwards. First, international migration policy and the global hunt for talent. Our data shows, albeit with a small sample, um, that a significant proportion of EU and non-EU domiciled um, University of Southampton graduates stayed in the UK after they, um, after they graduated, or they returned at some point over the following five-year period. Um, this, this was actually under a different student immigration system um, than the one that's present now, um, which I think had a more clear route to post-study work via the Tier 1 visa. There have been um, quite substantial revisions, I think, to what was already a quite a complex tier-based migration system. The overall impact being that I think it's now more difficult for uh, graduates to remain in the UK to work after their studies um, than it was for the graduates in our study. 
Um, since the international graduates um, from Southampton in, in our survey sample were primarily motivated to stay in the UK for, for employment, it seems likely that we will lose more skilled international graduates to the international labour force under the current system. Moving on to local and regional graduate retention policies, which largely focus on retaining graduates in their place of study by providing support to get first employment after graduation. Our findings actually show that graduates will return to their place of study later on at a later stage in their career, perhaps <coughs> when they're considering stepping off the southeast escalator and moving back down the urban hierarchy. Um, so perhaps there is scope to extend those policies to target um, older graduates. Um, we also found that international graduates are more rooted in their place of study um, than UK domiciled graduates, suggesting this could be a viable group to target with these types of policies. Finally, young adult welfare and housing policy and adult social care. We've shown that graduate pathways are complex, um, reflecting the fragility of this stage of the life course and that the risks and costs of young adulthood are often absorbed by parents. Although it's not clear whether plans announced earlier this year to scrap housing benefit for under-25s are actually going to be taken forward, I think if they were, it would undoubtedly compound these issues. Um, so we highlight here then the potential for um, the increasing reliance of young adults on the parental safety net, the parental home and parental support, to have implications for others who rely on midlife parents. And in particular here I mean the ageing older parent population <coughs> could be a really big issue given, um, given the ageing population in the UK. So here I'm referring to midlife parents who are effectively sandwiched between um, meeting the needs of their adult children, who are returning to live in the parental home and their ageing parents and the phrase um, sandwich generation has now commonly used to describe this group. I think the main policy issue here is that despite considerable um, investment in developing a framework for adult social care policy reform, there's some examples of the large scale reports that have been commissioned in recent years, these reports don't recognise that the capacity for midlife adults to care for their ageing parents might be affected by multiple demands on them from other family members. Um, for example, their adult children returning to live in the parental home. Instead, it's assumed that if they're present, then they will be able and willing to care for their ageing parents.